We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hot Take Alert. Hot Take Alert. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike Vigil. I'm here with my co-host Sam Cooper. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Mike. I'm feeling better than Hamadou Diallo's elbow, uh, which is probably hurting a little bit this morning after it was caught hanging on the rim on that nasty dunk over Shaquille O'Neal last night. And unfortunately, the only good dunk uh, an entire night of dunk festivities. The dunk contest is really struggling. Yeah, it's pretty bad when I'd rather watch Joe Harris shoot three-pointers than the entire yeah. dunk contest. Yeah, it is <laughs> It is pretty sad when I'd rather watch Nikola Jokic make chess passes through the skills <laughs> challenge obstacle course. Give me more big men. That was actually really impressive. He dribbled down to the dribble and then using his right hand without using his left, just one hand shoved it through the uh, the hole in the pass. I was pretty impressed with Nikola Jokic. He's He's a fun guy to watch. It's nice to watch a guy that, you know, this new era of like fat guys in the NBA is kind of fun. <laughs> how about how about Trey Young just just straight up cheating with that dribble of throwing the ball like 25 feet in front of him and just like is is that legal? Is that okay now? I guess well, I guess technically Jason Tatum's half-court shot isn't legal either, but at least that looks cool. Trey Young's just not playing basketball. He's well, it's so- it's a soccer move, that's for sure. <laughs> it's a so- it's a soccer move. Yeah, I don't know. His favorite player is Steve Nash. Dude, I don't even know, and that's true, I don't even know how they can fix that thing. Like, I watch Saturday Night every year, and it's parts of it are fun. You know, like, hearing Shaq say, I'm the black Steph Curry, like, that's that's awesome. Uh, you know, hearing Reggie Miller say anything, that's not as awesome. 
but I just don't know how they how they can fix the night overall. It seems like the crowd was somewhat into it, but it's got some massive problems. And, you know, obviously people talk about the dunk contest every year, and we will get to the Suns in a second. Don't worry, guys. People talk about how to fix the dunk contest every year. Obviously, you want more star talent in there, but there's just no incentive for any of those guys to do it. So you've got guys like Diallo and um, who else was even in it last night? Dennis Smith Jr., John Collins, you know, John not Collins. not household names uh, starring in the dunk contest. So it is what it is. Yeah, people are saying that next year will be great because Zion will be in it. And part of me is thinking, like, at this point, why would does he even need to do it? No. Is there a point for him doing it? He's already this massive star. He's got more Instagram followers than any college basketball player of all time. His level of fame on the Internet is only going to explode even more, especially if he ends up on a team like the Knicks. There's no real benefit to him doing it other than, I guess, like a brand building thing with him, uh, just showing that he's uh, amazing at dunking. But that's going to happen in games. I'm not sure. It it might be like LeBron where what he does on the court is so impressive, there's no real reason for him to go into a dunk contest and potentially risk embarrassing yourself on national TV by tripping over a model of the Wright Brothers (laughs) plane. In the middle of your dunk contest, you know that was a pretty cool. That was like a, a Tuskegee Airman. That was a pretty cool dunk. Had he not broken the model on the way up, I think he got it on the way up and on the way down. Uh, but oh man, if he could have gotten that, that that's a good from John Collins. That's a good dunk. Arguably better than you know. That's like there are there are some lame dunks that we've had in the past. Blake Griffin jumping over the hood of a Kia, like jumping over an airplane, is cooler than that. Even if it's a model airplane. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how yeah. they can fix it, man. Like they're they, they're coming up with inventive ideas. They're they're bringing out guys, but then it's just it's it's not fully connecting for some reason. And, and you know the problem has always been like with Dennis Smith Jr. last night. If you can nail a great dunk on the first or second attempt, you get the entire crowd into it. At a certain point, if it's the fourth or fifth attempt, and you're not getting it, it's it just sucks all the momentum out of the building. I mean, at least now they have this system where you only get a certain amount of attempts because. You know, NBA fans will remember back in the day, I think one year was like, was it Chris Birdman Anderson? Like back in the mid 2000s, I don't even remember when this was, had like, what, 20 attempts on a dunk before he finally got it. It's like at that point, just do a layup, dude, just get it over with. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty bad. I think it's funny that there's like a designated rapper for each second dunk. That's now funny. Too. <laughs> I think that one of the best moments of the dunks was J. Cole going up and trying to dunk it. I, that was actually like the most excited I was the entire night. That's probably the most excited the internet got all night, right? Seeing J. Yeah, J. Cole blow Including up. people in the building, I think. Yeah. You know, you could see you could see Carl Anthony Towns on the sideline almost pass out when J. Cole went up for a dunk. To me, that's the type of thing that actually makes it fun. And, and you know, it's ironic because those guys were there to just watch. The guys that were actually involved with the the show were Carl Anthony Towns not knowing how to use a microphone and, and Ludacris standing on a crate, which apparently was hilarious to him. It's the, the NBA is not quite there as far as what they present to the public, but there's still, I think there's still organic moments that can come out of it that are still kind of fun. Um, you know, like, like J. Cole. All, arguably all of my favorite moments from last night, and there's the last thing I'll say about it, came from not the actual NBA players. It came from J. Cole blowing a dunk, Ray Allen missing five threes for charity. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, I guess one came from Devin Booker with the with the classic fuck reaction. That that was a good one after his first round. But for the most part, you know, the funniest moments of the night, you know, Shaq, you know, being Shaq, were not coming from the actual guys who were supposed to be headlining this performance. And that's that's a problem. Yeah, it's a difficult place. I, I don't think that they're 
going to fix it anytime soon. The state of internet culture and how quickly people make fun of anyone who makes any sort of mistake on a public forum like that. I don't think a lot of players are going to be super encouraged to, to jump into it, but... You know, the Rising Stars game did happen as well, and DeAndre Ayton, a Phoenix Suns player, you know, this is the Suns podcast after all, uh, competed <laughs> in that Rising Stars game. And to me, actually, this Rising Stars game, and this is kind of the state of being a Suns fan in general, it was kind of the only moment I was looking forward to in this weekend. You know, we haven't watched the All-Star game that's coming tonight. If something amazing happens, I'm sorry we didn't cover it. There's no Suns players in it anyway, but... We didn't have to really worry about that. The All-Star games are usually boring. But the Rising Stars game could be fun. It could be competitive. At the very least, you get to see the guys who could be the future of the NBA competing against each other and playing together. But it started really boring. Not a lot of defense. What did you think of the game? I mean, not a lot of defense. Yeah. Did you expect defense? Here's what we learned from the Rising Stars game. Since, after all, this is our hot take episode. DeAndre Ayton... Mm -hmm. Not a single three. He, he tried to hit them, but he couldn't. Not a single block. He finished with the worst plus minus of anyone on the world team. All of these advanced statistics tell me that DeAndre Aiden is actually the worst player that was on the court for the Rising Stars game. And the Suns selected a bonafide bust. So, you know, we'll just we'll just leave that where it is. Not a single redeeming moment for the rookie. And uh, yeah, that's it for me, guys. See you next year. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a not it's funny to start the game cuz there's two types of players I think that play in either types of game, the the actual All-Star game or the Rising Stars game. There's the young guys that are feeling it out and they're trying to see what the tone of the game is going to be. And then there's the tone setters. There's the guys that get onto the floor and they're like, this is my game and I'm going to set the tone of what this game is going to be. And in this game, that was clearly Ben Simmons. There was a little bit of Jason Tatum, Kyle Kuzma that were really trying to set the tone of the game and really going after that Rising Stars MVP trophy, you know, the most important trophy of the weekend. And uh, I think for guys like DeAndre Ayton, it's clear when the game started, he was feeling it out. He was trying to figure out how much effort he was to put into running the floor, into playing defense, because it's a weird thing where you're used to competing your entire life and then you get on the court with a bunch of other amazing players and there's just no competition at all. And it will be interesting to see if he plays in this game next year as his confidence builds, if he will be one of the guys that steps foot onto the court and says, I'm going to set the tone this year. I'm not going to feel it out and wait for somebody else to set the tone because I think that's the type of thing that Suns fans want out of him now. And really none of, I mean, Luka Doncic didn't really do that. None of the rookies really did that. The guys that were really the tone setters were guys that played last year and they kind of know what they're capable of doing in the NBA and they're sort of used to that spotlight. Uh, interesting game. Didn't do a lot for his reputation of not playing defense because nobody was. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the part that kind of sucks. And to talk to talk seriously about it, he had a good game. Um, the stat line, I think, finished 15 points, 8 rebounds. He did take a few threes. He got some assists, including some nice outlet passes. Five assists. Yeah, five assists, no turnovers. So, you know, arguably better playmaker than Ben Simmons now. Uh, but I think that's the other problem is when you're a player with the play style of DeAndre Ayton and you're playing in a game like this, how exactly do you get involved? You're not going to get post-up opportunities. It's not that type of game. You're basically either going to get yeah. trailing threes, which we know to this point has not been his game. It was nice to see him try a couple. Uh, or you're going to get transition dunks and, and alley-oops, and that's really sort of what he was doing as a rim runner. 
Uh, but but you're absolutely right. He was feeling it out. I don't think he got his second field goal until like late in the second quarter or something like that. Like it was, he went into the half with no more than a couple of points. I think you you watch how Marvin Bagley stepped onto the floor, and that's what you want to do if you want to make an impression in this type of game. What Marvin Bagley did is sprint. He sprinted down the floor every single time there was a change of possession. And if you sprint down the floor as a big man, those guys, they're either going to try and dunk it themselves or if there's an open dunk for you, they're just going to give it up to you. Uh, and I think, you know, with, with Marvin Bagley, he had Trey Young. So you have guys that are really pushing it forward and, and trying to get assists, and that's the way to score. And I think when Aiton came back in after watching Bagley on the floor, he was definitely putting a little more effort into running down the floor, and, and he got a, a few easy buckets but you're right he he did look actually kind of good he on those outlet passes he there was one where he just caught the ball immediately turned around and just one hand winged it down the floor and it was a really nice pass to 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 an open fast break kevin love that and we're going to talk about fast break points yeah we're going to talk about fast break points later because we don't get a lot of them and, and i think we're not really using that skill that he has as far as those outlet passes correctly we don't have a lot of personnel for it but it's still unfortunate that we can't take advantage of, of something like that um, a really interesting game, just not a lot going on in the game, but there was a profile written about DeAndre Ayton sort of leading into this game uh, where he had some interesting quotes. So I do want to read one. He was asked about the criticisms that are sort of against him about his defense, and he said, I'm tired of hearing that. I went through that in college, and I'm going through it in the NBA. I don't know what you guys want from me. I'm 7-1. I'm guarding point guards. I don't understand how much I have to show. I'm guarding the perimeter, running after guards across screens, pin downs, running through dribble handoffs, pick and roll ball screens, and as a seven-footer. In the NBA, I have to protect the rim. I love defense. I'm not struggling on defense. I love to make my opponent look bad. I love defense. This was the quote by DeAndre Ayton about his defense and the criticisms against him so far in the NBA and the criticisms, same criticisms that have been sort of surrounding him his entire career, including college and, and likely in high school as well. Uh, this quote was taken very differently by different types of people on the internet. As you can imagine, uh, overall, I think it's an interesting quote. Yeah, I'll give my thoughts on it in a second. But Sam, what did you think about this quote overall? Yeah, I don't I don't see any reason. I see why Aiden haters might take this the wrong way. Um, I like to see the confidence. Now, do I think he's doing that great on defense as a rookie? No, he's he's quite frankly not. Um, but I do think he has shown flashes of of a lot of successful defense. The part where he's talking about he's guarding point guards, he's having a you know move well uh, on screens and shuffle his feet on the perimeter. All of that stuff is true. It's not just about rim protection anymore as a seven footer in the NBA on defense. So you know I think he's got a long way to go. Uh, in terms of his team defense, and you know, maybe it would have been nice to to see him sort of acknowledge that. Uh, but I truly do believe him when he says, "I love defense," and and I've seen the potential of him as a one-on-one defender. I think, frankly, in a lot of instances, he's been pretty good, uh, and he can get a lot better on that end. So, I don't see anything to blow out of proportion here. I think that what he is responding to is different than the criticisms that people vault against him and what I mean by that is the general criticisms for big men in defense in the NBA is that they're not able to keep up with guards so one of the big problems with a guy like Ennis Cantor for example Ennis Cantor a lot of people compare unfairly 
De- uh, DeAndre Ayton to Ennis Cantor. And Ennis Cantor's big problem is when, when he's in the playoffs, when he was in the playoffs with OKC, all teams had to do was force, force a switch on a pick and roll and force Ennis Cantor to guard the perimeter. And then that guard on the perimeter would just isolate him and attack him one-on-one. And they were able to either get by him or create enough separation to shoot over him. That's the a different kind of problem than what DeAndre Ayton has. And I think what he's looking at is, is he's thinking, this is what centers are generally criticized for, and I'm actually good at that. And to his credit, he is good at that, especially for his age and his experience in the NBA. He's very good at switching onto guards. He's good at keeping up with people on the perimeter. He can sort of absorb contact, move his feet quick enough, and contest without fouling pretty consistently on the perimeter. Where DeAndre Ayton struggles is team defense outside of that. So a lot of what team defense is for big men is not necessarily guarding a player. It's what they call guarding in space. So what they have to do, for example, on a pick and roll, if if you do not switch on a pick and roll, you have to contain the person who's on ball and keep another eye on the guy who's rolling to the basket or potentially popping out for a shot. And what's difficult in that scenario is you're kind of guarding no one well sort of guarding two people at the same time. And to me, this type of defense is something that has to develop in the NBA because in college, there's not a lot of spacing the floor, pick and rolls. So he has an opportunity to get a lot better at guarding in space, but he's not very good at that right now. It's difficult to keep track of two guys at the same time, especially when you don't have a lot of experience doing this. So I think he, I don't mind the quote either. I think that he is just frustrated with constantly being asked about something he's not good at when he's so good at so many other things. Mm. It's just unfortunate this is the way that we sort of analyze players at this point. We focus on the one thing they're not good at and just hammer them with it over and over and over again. So I think overall the quote is not bad. I'm not a huge fan of the I'm not struggling on defense. I love to make my opponent look bad. I think that part is kind of true in a sense, but at the same time, he does struggle in some areas. So I, I think he's right, and I also think he's wrong. I, I, I still like the quote overall because I don't want him to say, oh, yeah, I'm really bad at defense. I hope I can get better someday. That's not great. I want him to show some confidence. I want him to show, to show some drive. Um, but what do you think about that, about as far as his, as far as what he's good at and what he's not? Yeah, well, I think it's really interesting, the problem you bring up about um, this sort of – it's a, a matter of expectations, and we love to focus on the one weakness. Uh, it makes sense that DeAndre is getting frustrated at this point in the season because he's having expectations heaped on him as the number one pick on a losing team in a way that we're not seeing from a lot of other rookies. We're sort of glossing over the flaws, I think, uh, of a lot of other rookies. When you see people talk about how a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. or Wendell Carter has been a better uh, big man than DeAndre Ayton when that's just verifiably false this season or when they talk about the potential of guys like that to do better. Uh, I think Ayton is sort of struggling with the expectations of a number one pick and with the fact that when you're just on an 11-win team, you don't get praise for all of your strengths as he's been doing. He's had a great season overall and the sad truth is just that these criticisms are going to continue to come as they've been coming at Devin Booker for the past couple of seasons until this game can, uh, sorry, until this team can find a way to win games, which they're just not doing right now for a multitude of reasons. Uh, but, you know, he, he can marginally improve on defense all he want. The positive press comes with an improvement in the win-loss record at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Aiton 
I, I think you should I think he should continue to answer questions this way to me though. I, I just think there's not a lot of ways when you're sort of when you're asked, hey, this thing that you're everyone criticizes you for not being good at, can you talk about it? There's not a lot of good ways to answer that kind of question. Absolutely. You either sort of say you, you either say to say, I'm not good at that, or you say, Nope, I'm good at that. I'm working really hard on it and I want to get credit for what I'm working hard on. And I think he, he approached this one the right way, especially right before this weekend where people are supposed to sort of celebrate what NBA players are good at. Another Phoenix Sun was part of All-Star Taco Bell All-Star Saturday night, as they call it. Uh, Devin Booker competed in the three-point shootout, and uh, he didn't get past the first round. Now, he's been, as we all know, he's been struggling with his three-point shot lately. I think it's the worst percentage of his career so far. Um, He talked about that he really wanted to win this, and I understand that, right? He's sort of been shut out of every other all-star event. So to want to win this makes sense for him because he gets some credit for being good and and being uh, just a guy that's on a team that did not really surround him with the right pieces in order to win. And he wants a little bit of individual credit. I think that's a very human thing to want. So um, he the 23 is a really good score. Last year he had 19 in the first round and he made it to the second round and he won with that 28, the highest score ever. So the the fact that he did not get past the first round with that 23, it's unfortunate. It's kind of crazy. There's a lot of really good shooters in the NBA. Joe Harris went on to win. Um, not the most exciting event. What do you think about the three-point shootout? I'm happy for Joe Harris, man. I really like uh, when when sort of underrated, lesser-known players win those sorts of events. Not that I wasn't rooting for Devin yeah. Booker, but you basically said it all. There's not much to say here. It was a good contest. A 23 usually gets you into the championship round. This time it didn't. Uh, and man, unfortunately, Steph Curry is just, he's super good. Uh, if Steph Curry weren't in that tournament, then Booker probably advances, but just didn't happen this time. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to, we're going to introduce a brand new segment where we take a look at some of the hot takes that have been floating around the internet and we dissect them a little bit and talk about whether or not it has merit. So we'll be right back with some hot takes. One thing we're going to talk about before we get into the hot takes segment is James Jones appeared on the Burns and Gambo show recently and said, according to Evan Sidery, veteran guys that can com- compete and earn their opportunity will be added to the team this offseason. And Phoenix wants to create enough pressure so the young core has to grow and not wait for their own timeline. Very interesting quotes from James Jones coming out this about team building, sort of implying that James Jones is going to be the general manager of this team in the future, by the way. Uh, yeah, a separate story from from this overall quote. There's a lot of interesting things to talk about from this quote. What did you think about it, Sam? Well, first of all, just what you said about James Jones. I think regardless of if you're the interim or not, you're always planning for the future. You're doing what you can to set the team up in the best way possible for the future, uh, even if... Uh, look, unfortunately, unfortunately, James Jones might be our, our general manager going forward. I just don't think that's locked in a stone yet, and I don't think we can really say anything about it. For the quote itself, I think people are freaking out about the content of it a little bit too much. They're taking this quote about we want to add veterans and accelerate the timeline and immediately jumping to, oh, no, they're going to add more 
Jamal Crawford's, Trevor Ariza's, Ryan Anderson's, Tyson Chandler's. And I think that's not necessarily what we're talking about here. We don't have enough information yet to know exactly what James Jones is talking about without context. But I think it's more likely that they're looking for veterans in the 25 to 30 age range. They're looking for guys that can still play and can play for the next, if you hand them a three to four year contract, aren't going to immediately spiral downhill and are hopefully young enough in their careers that uh, they're actually excited to play here uh, and and are going to give you good production and aren't just going to check out by game number 15 of the season like a guy like Trevor Reza did. So, I mean, we've talked about it before with the power forward position. We'll talk about with the point guard position in the future uh, on our YouTube channel. But I think there's a plethora of options there for the Suns in free agency where you can go after a guy who's 27 years old, who is technically a veteran and has more experience than the guys in your current roster, but you're not going after these these washed up bums. Yeah, we've talked about Terry Rozier, uh, Malcolm Brogdon is another guy, Ricky Rubio, Goran Dragic, Nikola Mirotic, Aminu, uh, Tobias Harris. These are all guys that could potentially be available on the free agent market. To me, one of the quotes I think that stood out overall was James Jones talking about adding Five, up to five or six guys uh, in that age range uh, between 25 and 30. And to me, uh, you well, just factually, you can't do that in free agency alone. So what we're looking at is this roster looking drastically different next year. One of the hot takes I actually got texted that we're not is not going to be part of our hot take segment next, but it was that only maybe five of these guys will be on the team next year. And I think that's a fair assessment to make. I actually don't think that's as much of a hot take as it seems. I think this roster is going to be drastically different next year, and it should be. Uh, I'm just interested overall. I think at this point, the main question going into this will be who is the person making those decisions? If it's mm-hmm. James Jones, and I think it will be. I think you're right about that, Max. Or, I'm sorry, Sam. I just think it's most likely that. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think it's just most likely. <laughs> I'm getting my name wrong now? mixed up. <laughs> I'm looking at a tweet that says Maxi Kleber. So. <laughs> Okay, whatever. <laughs> Call me Maxi yeah. the rest of the episode. Um, all right, you're Maxi now. Um, I think that it's most likely that James Jones is going to be the guy making these decisions because it just seems like a, a Robert Sarver-esque decision to make as far as just next man up and, and it's pay him as little as possible because he's new to this. <laughs> and, and I just think that's the type of thing Sarver's going to do. So we'll see. Um, going forward, that's going to be a big story for this team as far as what what we're going to look like next season. But for now, let's get into some hot takes. Hot take alert. Hot take alert. So for this segment, what we're going to do is we're going to break down a few hot takes. We'll see how much we get through in the, uh, in the normal podcast time length here. Uh, and we're going to talk about what makes sense about them and maybe what does not make sense about them. So... Sam and I, we scoured the internet. We found the most interesting of the hot takes that are appearing over the last few weeks. And let's go over some of those right now. So the first hot take we're going to talk about is the Phoenix Suns are better with Devin Booker off the floor. So without Devin Booker on the floor, the Phoenix Suns are better. First of all, at first glance, to me, this hot take is insane. Devin Booker is our best player and it's crazy to point out that we're better without him. This take has also taken a couple of different forms. Some of them are, uh, we're better without Devin Booker when he's injured, we look better. Some of them are, oh, the team tries harder without him on the floor because they know they're going to have more of an opportunity. And some of them are, 
let's trade Devin Booker for garbage and see oh my what the God. team looks and like we'll talk him. about that. You, you found uh, an interesting one, right? Someone, uh, I'm not naming any names, but someone suggested Devin Booker for Evan Fournier and the Magic's first round pick. What are you guys doing? I, I mean, Devin Booker at the very least at this point is is has more trade value than that. If you really want to blow up the team, I think you get some good value uh, out of him. But yeah, these these takes they're they're funny. So you have some stats about it, Mike. Maybe you should go into it. I think what's interesting is so what I did is I I looked at the net rating for every player on the Phoenix Suns, and I'll tell you that just net rating on the overall length of the season, Devin Booker is not the team is not better with him off the floor. We'll just say that. But I kind of I wanted to look at it a little more granularly. I, I, I separated it from the first few months of the season to the last few months of the season. And uh, from the beginning of the season to December 1st, Devin Booker had the second best net rating of all the rotation guys after Mikhail Bridges. And these are guys who play minutes. I, I, I separated it by the actual amount of minutes played. So he was second only to Mikhail Bridges in that stat. Since that moment, since December 1st, he actually has the worst net rating of all the rotation players except for Tyler Johnson. And then, of course, you can all we can all expect Jamal Crawford is one of the worst in that stat <laughs> as well. But he's at a net rating of a negative 11.6 since that moment. And there's a couple things to talk about with Devin Booker, right? Uh, he has been injured. He's been coming back from a few different injuries. But I think the last few weeks, I think the criticism surrounding him as far as his effort, his body language, and and sort of how he looks while he's on the floor, I actually think a lot of that criticism is fair. I think that he has not been putting in the same type of effort that we've gotten used to with Devin Booker. So although I don't think the Suns are better without Devin Booker, I do think that the criticisms lofted at Devin Booker for the last few weeks as far as what he's been doing on the floor are fair. I think that's my overall take on this hot take. But what do you think? I think, well, it's. I still think it's insane to say the Suns, just watch the Suns without Devin Booker on the floor. I think if you really think that the Suns are better, that they try more, it really comes down to a matter of expectations again. Like I was talking about with DeAndre Aiden earlier. When I read that Devin Booker is not going to play in a basketball game for the Phoenix Suns, to speak for myself personally, my expectations are as someone who's watched virtually every Suns game for the past decade, it's hard to convince myself to even want to watch the game in the first place. I enter the game expecting a 30 point blowout. And then if the Suns only lose by 15, I'm impressed. Whereas when I see Devin Booker is playing, knowing the types of stats that he's putting up this year, I really expect the Suns to be competitive in games. And then oftentimes I'm let down. And I think that's sort of what it comes down to is I think the truth is the Suns are better with Devin Booker on the floor, but it's a subtle enough difference that it it really doesn't necessarily come to fruition in terms of uh, impacting the win-loss record in the way we would like it to. But to say that the Suns are better with him off the floor, it's simply false. You can get excited about the potential of a guy like Josh Jackson all you want, but when Devin Booker isn't playing and Josh Jackson becomes you know the number one scoring option as he's been doing in some of these recent games josh jackson playing at his absolute best is still a far far worse player than devin booker on an average night uh the gravity that devin booker creates on offense his ability to hit players with cross-court passes find them in the corner his improved playmaking all of these things that we've talked about all throughout the season um it's it's just absurd to to throw all of this on his shoulders the great jalen rose says happiness is a function of expectations more is expected of the Phoenix Suns when Devin Booker's on the floor. So if they continue to perform badly, it feels a lot worse 
for Suns fans who expect more out of the team when he's on the floor. The fact is this team is awful, and especially if you take away T.J. Warren and D'Anthony Melton, we already struggle enough at point guard, and you're taking the one good point guard prospect we have off of our roster that really hurts. We're also the worst three-point shooting team in the NBA, and we took our best three-point shooter out of the rotation. So what Devin Booker has been dealing with for the last few weeks, I'm not going to excuse his body language. I'm not going to excuse his effort for the last few weeks. I do think that he should be putting more into it, but I don't think he really shoulders the entire blame for that. I think what he's surrounded by is pretty awful, and I think any human would be affected by this level of just losing constantly. You're constantly losing, and and he's at a place in his career where he's capable of putting up 25 points and seven assists a game. He should win. He, mm-hmm. he wants to win. It makes sense. Now, a lot of this blame, though, I think needs to be put on the coaching staff. They need to prepare these guys to properly compete whether or not their star player is on the floor with them. And it'll be interesting to see after this break if we can get DeAnthony Melton and TJ Warren back on the floor soon and see how that affects the effort of, of everyone on the floor. But I think this leads nicely into our second hot take. This hot take has been floating around on the internet since probably the first game of the season, and this one is Igor Kokoshkov, coach of the Phoenix Suns, should be fired. Fired. It's never more uh, or never less than that. It's always the extreme. He should be fired. I saw this one put very eloquently by a user on Facebook who just said, this coach is garbage. And I liked I liked that as a description, just not even not even dignifying him with the use of his name or the people who still call him Igor. That's funny, too. But not, not I didn't even try to spell it out. Just this coach, whoever he is, is garbage. Let's go get a new one. So let's talk. I want to talk about this one. I want to bring up the facts. Um, and and I think my greater point, I don't know actually how you feel. about. I think I know how you feel about this one, Mike, but I'll have to wait to see exactly uh, what you think here, but I, I want to take a second to defend Igor and make the point that, look, guys, there's no way to be happy with the results that we've seen from this team. Uh, Basketball Reference has a stat SRS. It takes into account your strength of schedule and and filters it sort of into an overall score in terms of how good or bad your team has been. Uh, the Suns went from a negative 8.8 SRS last year to a negative 8.82 so far this year. So they are basically, uh, they were 29th, or sorry, they were 30th out of 30 teams last year. They are 29th this year. Only the Knicks are worse. So slice it any way you want, but at least statistically, it looks like the Suns are, are basically the same uh, garbage product. But if you dig down into the numbers, Igor's problems, his system has improved the Suns in a number of ways. Roster construction is the only thing that's holding him back. The Suns went from 29th in the league in assists last year to 17th this year without increasing their turnovers at all, without a point guard. With your only point guards being Devin Booker playing in that role, a 38-year-old Jamal Crawford, and struggling rookies in DeAnthony Melton and Elia Kobo, you've gone from basically the worst passing team in the NBA to middle of the pack without increasing your turnovers. That right there is huge. On the defensive end, we've talked about the Suns playing the passing lanes, getting deflections, their roster construction, looking for guys with length like DeAnthony Melton and Mikhail Bridges, and they went from 27th in steals to second. 
in one season, which is an absurd turnaround and hasn't exactly reflected itself in a better defensive rating. I understand because so much of the team's team defense and half court defense still really struggles. Their transition defense uh, was a was a dumpster fire, frankly, at the beginning of the season. And that led to a lot of losing games back when Ariza and Anderson were starting. Um, but it, it it has made some improvement in some sense with the steals. It's created more fast break opportunities for the Suns as of late, more transition points. They're starting to get better in that area. The only area where they've gotten a lot worse is rebounding, and that's simply because of roster construction. They went from 14th last year in offensive rebound percentage to 26th this year. They went from 23rd in defensive rebound percentage, already bad, to dead last in 30th. They're one of the worst teams at surrendering second chance points to other teams because, and we've talked about it again all season long, you have Aiton or Holmes in there uh, as your only guy who can rebound and no one around them uh, at the power forward or small forward position who can grab the rebound. Last season, if you look at the roster, as shitty and flawed as Marquise Chris was as a player, at the end of the day, he was a natural, able-bodied power forward who grabbed about nine rebounds per 36 minutes. The Suns don't have anyone like that on the roster this year. You've got Aiton and Holmes trading off at the center position to grab rebounds. You don't play the two of them at once. And after those two, the next best rebounder in our entire regular rotation is Josh Jackson at six rebounds per 36 minutes. So, you know, I mean, there's tons of problems. There's no easy one simple fix for this roster. Uh, I haven't been thrilled with Igor's rotations. I haven't been thrilled with uh, him sort of forcing his system. I think he could be using DeAndre Ayton in more effective ways, and we can talk about that in a second. But a lot of the problems that this team is facing is purely on James Jones and Ryan McDonough and all of the roster construction. And you can't just, you know, hand Igor a shit sandwich and expect him to turn it into a playoff team in the Western Conference. I think that the number one thing you can defend him for is his rotations, and that's because this roster is... It just doesn't make sense. There's so many flaws. The fact that you just mentioned it, our power forward currently, the person starting at power forward only averages six rebounds per 36 minutes, is a perfect example of, of, of what we're dealing with as far as this team goes. But these hot takes, they don't come from nowhere. I think every year there's someone shouting for the coach to be fired regardless of who it is. But I think there are some fair criticisms of Igor Kokoshka. But I will say, just... On face value, the idea that he should be fired is completely insane. This team has dealt with enough, just sort of everything upending every single season. We're, we're done with that. We need a little bit of structure to be in place year over year in order for these guys to properly develop. I, I don't want to see the uh, the new diary from Josh Jackson at the beginning of next year talking about dealing with his fourth coach in three years. <laughs> it, it's enough for him already. But... There's a couple things that that bother me about Igor Kokoshkov so far. We haven't really done a check a check in on how we feel about him. One, I think his end of game, how he's dealt with the end of game scenarios have not been great so far. Now I will say the Suns have not been in a lot of games late in the game, so he doesn't have a lot of experience coaching in those scenarios. But to me, an end of game scenario is something that you should be prepared for. There should be plans in place. Now, there was a couple of games that I can refer to, and I wish I would have had the games in them, but one of them was a classic one where Devin Booker absolutely lost his mind when they did not call a timeout to foul when they were up by three so that the other team would get two. We ended up going into overtime because they hit a three-pointer, and we lost in overtime with Devin Booker being incredibly frustrated by the end of that game. The other scenario was 
a, a game where we were down by four and I believe there was 18, 19 seconds left and we didn't foul until there was about eight seconds left and no coach was on the floor yelling at the team to foul. Those types of things bother me. The other thing that bothers me is in the last two seasons, previous to these seasons, we didn't really have point a point guard last year at least and we were still third in, in pace and the season before that we were second in pace. This season we are 12th in pace. For a team that struggles so much to get easy buckets, it would make sense for us to get out there and run on the floor. And we're really, we're just not, we're not. And it really highlighted to me in the game against Sacramento, where Sacramento absolutely takes off no matter what the scenario is, they're constantly running. And of course, they have a guy like De'Aaron Fox who's really capable of doing that constantly. But we have a lot of young guys on the team. We have TJ Warren, we have Josh Jackson, Devin Booker's capable of doing it. And and even DeAndre Ayton, for his size, is is great at running the floor. And we just don't take advantage of fast breaks like we could. So while I think it's insane that Igor Kokoshkov should be fired, I think there are areas that this team can improve. And I'm going to be following that very closely. And I think as far as this team, there's so many issues, right? There's so much shit. It's difficult to focus on individual things and say, how come it's not, you know, how come we're not improving here? There's a lot you have to focus on. So incremental improvements over time is what we can hope for. And I think, you know, these types of things that I'm looking at, I would like to see those improve over time. All of those guys you mentioned for the uh, frustration that you have with the transition opportunities. I mean, Aiton's not going to be with the ball in his hands. Josh Jackson's not usually, uh, doesn't usually have the ball in his hands. Same for TJ Warren. It comes down to the point guard. It's the point guard's responsibility to push the pace. And that's why I like DeAnthony Melton a lot. And uh, I'm, I'm waiting for him to come back as useless as he often is on offense at least he pushes the pace and and gets the ball into the half court offense quickly looks for transition opportunities he can't hit an open three but the real area i mean jamal crawford's just not going to create transition opportunities for your offense Mm -hmm. and elia kobo surprisingly i mean he's got young legs but i think that's an area where he's really struggled as well so uh you know again point guard comes down to that and uh the suns need to add a good one this summer yeah i i guess part of me thinks that um even if it turns into some turnovers that's okay it's just so it's such a struggle to score in in the half court i think that it, it's, that it's okay it's such a to, struggle to sort of turn it over it's such a struggle to score in the half court when you have players that can't hit open shots we don't talk enough of, i feel like we talked so much last year about how the suns were the worst three-point shooting team in the nba and it culminated in ryan mcdonough at the beginning of the offseason saying hey we're really going to focus on adding shooters and now what happened this year is the most unexpected turn by any player in terms of three-point shooting in the entire NBA happened for the Phoenix Suns and TJ Warren literally doubling his three-point percentage. And we are still the worst three-point shooting team in the NBA. That really says something about where this team is at right now and its roster construction and why, you know, going back a second to that hot take that we had texted to us earlier about this team will only have five or six of its players on the on the roster next year that's it depends on who's in charge uh to see how much i really trust them to make the right moves but in theory that's absolutely fine with me you guys have stockholm syndrome a lot of you from what i read from you online you get way (laughs) too attached to garbage players it's not a bad idea for the suns to trade a lot of this team away and overhaul because clearly something whatever they're doing right now is not working and they have too many uh too many problems to count I think it the main point with Igor Kokoshkov, I think going forward, and it's been this case for the last few months, until we see 
a roster that allows him to run an NBA team out on the floor, it's difficult to really judge how good he's been. And I think that's where we're both at right now, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let's move on to our next hot take. Hot take this one's very alert. frustrating for me. It is DeAndre Ayton is alert. the fifth best rookie from the 2018 rookie class. Where did you find this? This has been... So this is... I, I saw some people making lists of rookies so far. There was one... Uh, <laughs> this is a garbage... This, to me, this is a garbage take. But uh, go ahead, Sam. What do you think? No, wait, wait. Finish. Where'd you find it? Making lists. Where... Where do these people live? People making lists of, of rookies so far. A lot of it, I think, where do these people live? <laughs> I think a lot of it is people saying, what what do they want going forward? Yeah. And they and DeAndre Ayton is never at the top of that list. He's, he's sometimes not even close to the top of that list. People take a really strong stance on DeAndre Ayton for some reason. I, I, don't, I don't really know what it is. I guess it's because he's on the Suns and the Suns have been so garbage. But uh, it's just a little unfair to put it all on him. Now, just just to let you know some of the advanced stats uh, around DeAndre Ayton, he's leading the league in win shares for rookies, according mm-hmm. to Basketball Reference. He's leading the league in the player impact estimate, which is the main NBA.com advanced statistic that's sort of all-encompassing. He, he has historic efficiency among rookie big men. His player comps for his rookie year are Colin Anthony Towns, uh, David Robinson. There's there's all these Hall of Famers that are sort of mixed in with that. To me, this is a completely garbage take, and I just wanted to take the time in this hot take segment to really <laughs> defend our rookie big men because it's kind of insane the way that people are turning on him, right? There's not a stat you can find where among qualified rookies, DeAndre Ayton is only fifth best. You mentioned he's first in win shares, even ahead of Luka Doncic. He's first in player efficiency. Yeah. He's first in... um player impact as as you said he's second in value over replacement player he's second in bpm mm-hmm. he's second in value over replacement player he's third in points per game first in rebounds per game you want to shit on his rim protection he's still fourth in blocks per game there is not a stat that you can find where deandre ayton is only the fifth best rookie so get out of here with that bullshit right now that's where i'm starting with this and secondly if we're talking about evaluating him in the future now that becomes a little bit of a different question but i really think again it's a matter of expectations a lot of these blog boys are not facing the reality of a guy like wendell carter or jaron jackson jr uh some of their flaws because these are the players that i most commonly see sort of compared to eight mm-hmm. in terms of can these guys become generational big men jaron jackson jr and wendell carter there's a reason these guys are playing 25 minutes a game and not the same amount of time as Aiton, even though they're starting every game it's because both of them average five fouls per 36 minutes it was their biggest problem coming out of the gate in college especially for a guy like triple j and it remains a problem that people are not talking about he doubles up Aiton in terms of uh, blocks per game. He's a much more effective rim protector. He's got the better uh, physical tools and better defensive instincts in general, and I will admit all of that. But at the end of the day, he's still a guy. He's getting half as many rebounds as Aiton. He's not scoring as efficiently. Wendell Carter especially is not scoring as efficiently. He's not even close to the finisher that Aiton is on the inside and doesn't have the same touch either. So it's just absurd to me that we're talking about some of these just factually lesser big men as if they have generational talent i think jaron jackson jr is a perfect role player type 
of a center who maybe has the potential to be a superstar. But I think in most scenarios, it's much more likely that he becomes a Miles Turner type of player. Fantastic defender, good three-point shooter, but not the same sort of physical freak and not the same sort of just natural offensive talent as a guy like DeAndre Ayton. So it is absurd to me uh, overall if I just have to conclude this up to say that DeAndre Ayton is either the fifth best rookie this year or that he's only fifth if you look at all of these guys and trying to uh, project them going forward. Just doesn't make any sense. Even So we talked about what DeAndre Ayton is criticized for in that when, when he was profiled earlier this week, and, and part of that was his defense. Like That's where you can really take aim at him. But let's talk about before the season. The other criticism he got was creating his own shot. And from what we've seen, we can kind of just dump it down into the post for him, and he can create his own shot. Even... One of the biggest criticisms that was lofted against him before the season, I think he's proven that that's something that he's going to be capable of doing in the future. It's really difficult to find a flaw in DeAndre Ayton's game outside of his defensive awareness off the ball. I still think he's pretty good on the ball. And if that's his one flaw, the idea that he cannot improve that is insane to me as far as him being sort of viewed as one of the most coachable players coming into the league. And and the fact that people tend to turn on him, I think we can kind of take aim at it and we could even talk about it in our next hot take. This is a problem with draft Twitter in general. And for some reason, it's specific to Twitter. I don't really see it on Reddit. I don't really see it uh, on Facebook in the Facebook groups that I've, that I've seen so far, although there's enough crazy shit in there. But as far as draft Twitter, there's something about wanting to be right mm. and this sort of mentality of the most important thing is for me to prove that my predictions before this draft were absolutely correct and what that does is it creates this confirmation bias that that just creeps in every year we've talked about it with Nate Duncan probably the worst at it as far as any sort of national writer but I think with these draft Twitter it's it's there's national writers and then there's draft Twitter I think there's like a second level of it of these people who don't really have time to analyze these players the way that they're pretending that they do and then they, they're so stuck in what their uh, predictions were for these players that, that they will use anything to really attack players that they didn't have rated high enough. And I think there's still some of that going on with DeAndre Ayton, and there's going to be even more of that in the future with other players. And I think it's just a problem with draft Twitter in general, right? You hit the nail on the head. This this is not me condemning every single person who likes to post, you know, their big boards and their mock drafts on Twitter. There are some fantastic analysts out there on draft Twitter and reasonable people. But for the most part, my problem with it is that there seem to be a majority of blowhards who are trying to build up their brand and are so obsessed with it that they're just completely stuck in their opinions. Draft arguments on Twitter should not be as aggressive as they are, not even close to as aggressive <laughs> as they are. If you're just willing to take, because if any of you, any of you out there who are crazy enough about college basketball to make your own big boards of your top 50 or top 100 prospects, if you've been doing that for multiple years, then you know for a fact, deep down, even if you're not willing to admit it, that you can go back and look at those lists and you were wrong about a lot of those players. And there's nothing wrong with that because scouting is a very, very imprecise science. But if you recognize that, that you're wrong as often as I'm sure all of you are, then you shouldn't be getting this aggressive as you are uh, on these draft Twitter arguments about you know, little tiny differences in the games of different prospects. I mean, just it's it's just this inability for so many so-called analysts to ever admit that they're wrong. It's absurd. And and it just makes me much less likely to want to have anything to do with draft Twitter. What it creates is this weird 
compartmentalizing of of watching basketball. So what happens is these guys who say DeAndre Ayton has a problem with his defense, and that there's no way that he will be a a historic big man or or the absolute cornerstone of a team because of it. Then then when, when they watch DeAndre Ayton play, that's the only thing they watch at that point. They they're not able to appreciate what's good about his game or appreciate what he brings to the table as far as being a potential player who can kind of kill any small ball lineup that's thrown at the Suns in the future. Uh, and they only focus on those negative points. And actually, this leads nicely into our next hot take. Hot take this hot take is from hot us, Sam. It's alert. from me and you. This is the 2019 draft for the Phoenix Suns is Zion, Jaw, or nothing. If it's anything after Zion or Jaw, we should trade that pick and we should focus on building for the future. This is an interesting take from us, and it deserves a little criticism because it's not entirely true. And I think what I wanted to do in bringing up this point is talk about how imprecise the draft is in general. We can't. There will be other stars from this draft, probably, besides Zion or Ja. That's the highest probability. Will it be R.J. Barrett? Maybe. Will it be Cam Reddish? Probably not, but maybe. <laughs> There's a lot of players that come after those two guys that have the potential to make it. But to me, it's such a crapshoot, and it's so random in whether or not that's possible. And the second point on that, whether or not that's possible on the Suns, because we're not sure how good our our development will be going forward in the future as far as player development. I just thought it was important to talk about. It doesn't. We're not saying, at least from my opinion, we're not saying there's not going to be other stars in this draft. What we're saying is there might not be, and these two guys are the most guaranteed. And if we're looking to try and build around the players we have now that could be stars in Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, maybe we look to trade that pick. What do you think about this take? I mean, yeah, it's a take from both of us. So obviously I agree. I will say there's maybe a little bit of a gambler's fallacy involved. The Suns have had a very bad track record of drafting and developing projects in the past. And I think our experiences with Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris and Josh Jackson are making us a little bit wary of our ability to find a good player in, say, the four to eight range. There are a lot of prospects in that range, a lot of wings. Well, so first of all, that's the first problem. What, we don't know what the hell to do with all these wings. I don't know how Cam Reddish, Jarek Culver, Romeo Langford, um, Nazir Little, I don't know how all these guys fit onto this roster necessarily. Uh, but beyond that, it's just the problem of do we trust the Suns to find the right guy out of that crop of players when we've been so bad at it in the past Probability says uh, that it should be an equal chance of finding the star player every time, but maybe with our, uh, with our scouting department, we're just not capable of developing a player like that, and we should settle on the lower ceiling. So if you can't get Zion or Jaw, you just give in and you trade for a competent point guard or a competent power forward, something that we haven't had uh, in years and years. And while we're taking aim at Draft Twitter, I just want to remind people that the same blog boys that were right about Luka Doncic also said that Dragon Bender was the right pick. Some even saying that he should be picked number two overall in that draft. And I think, and I don't say that to say that, to me, Luka Doncic was more obvious. We can just look at what they averaged in EuroLeague. Uh, you know, Dragon Bender with four points and Luka Doncic with 19. There, there's a big difference as far as what those two players were. But I still think it's important to remember that it's impossible to predict, and we're only guessing. And although Sam and I, we will take some time to really watch other players in this draft, I think it's important to know that we're not saying we're going to be right either, but we're also guaranteeing that we're not going to be stuck to our opinions if those end up being wrong in the future. We will 
evaluate these players on their own merit as far as what they're capable of doing in the NBA. And only that once they're in the NBA. We can talk about their potential and we can talk about everything beyond that. But what they actually do is the only thing that matters once they're in the NBA. And that's what we're going to look at going forward. So we'll see what this team does. Like we talked about before, the most interesting question going forward is who's making that decision. Uh, You know, could be James Jones. Maybe it's not. One last hot hot take. take. This one comes from DeAndre Ayton. This was from DeAndre Ayton's profile that we talked about earlier. I believe it was CBS that wrote it. Uh, They said, or DeAndre Ayton said, let me tell you a little secret. This team I'm on is actually a pretty good team. We just need a little bit more resources to help us when guys are tired. The coaching staff is working hard on making sure we compete every day. It's a fun environment. Mm. Uh, We might be losing, but it's just part of this. I want to be a trendsetter. I'm happy and ready to go every game. The Denver Nuggets, they went through the pain and the struggle. They weren't always the team they are today. That's how I see these other teams coming along, just growing with each other and playing for each other. This is a hot take by DeAndre Ayton, and the hot take comes from the sentence that says, this team I'm on is actually a pretty good team. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's... I'm not so sure. Scorching. Scorching hot take from our rookie. I don't know. I mean, I like to fall back on this idea that it becomes so easy if you can just get one or two actual generational talents. And that's where I'm at with Booker and Ayton right now. I'm just not sure if they're those types of players. But if you look at Philly after they got Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, the rapid pace with which they turned around from a 10-win team to being one of the contenders in the Eastern Conference, and then the trades came after that to sort of put the pieces into place. But those guys, Embiid and Simmons, are the ones who turned it around. Can Ayton and Booker do the same thing for Phoenix? I don't know, but there is precedent for those rapid turnarounds. Like he's talking about with a team like the Denver Nuggets. You know, it, Once it happens, it happens very fast. The switch to you know, talk about something that Robert Sarver was mentioning at the beginning of the season. The switch has absolutely not been flipped for Phoenix, um, but she's got to hold out hope and, and hope that maybe it comes right now. This team is not a good team. Deandre, sorry to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you, let me tell you a little secret, Deandre. This team is not actually pretty good. <laughs> and here's, here's what I will say in his defense. What he's referring to is the young guys. And I think what's been encouraging about this team is that out of maybe the top five best guys on the team so far, DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges are included in those best five guys. And those guys are going to be excellent NBA players going forward. And I would, there's my prediction. Those guys are going to be good. And guess why I'm predicting that? They have been good. I've seen them do it in the NBA. So I think what he's referring to is there's a few guys on this team that are capable NBA players that will be good in the future. And he's saying that in a nice, friendly way because he's friends with the rest of the team. So while he is partially right about one thing, there are a few pretty good guys on this team. This team needs an overhaul. We just spent the last 20 minutes talking about it. There's going to be a lot of changes coming this summer, and hopefully it'll be a much better team. And what I can tell you for sure is that the two guys I think that will be on the team for sure are DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker, and those are the two best guys going forward. So we'll see what it looks like around them in the future. But for now, sorry, DeAndre, this is not a great team, and and I'm hoping that it'll be a lot better in the future. Anything else to say about that one, Sam? (laughs) Nope, that's that's about it. Ayton and Bridges give me hope. I think what you were saying is is absolutely correct. Bridges, by the way, we were talking about DeAndre Ayton's uh, advanced metrics before compared to a lot of the rookies. Bridges is right up there as well. 
he's the leader in steals, obviously. But if you again look at the advanced metrics, like value over replacement player, he's right up there, right behind Doncic and Aiton. He's actually number three uh, for all rookies. So I think the Suns have found a potential high impact player in the future there. But right now, not a good team. McDonough's last stand. <laughs> the one draft he actually hit on was the one he was fired right after. Yeah, afterwards. well, we'll still see. We'll still see about. We were calling that Melton uh, Chris trade a good trade for McDonough, but Marquise Chris is quietly putting together a good stretch of games in Cleveland. And I have to be honest, I'm still sort of rooting for Marquise. I have no ill feelings yeah. towards him. I think he's an idiot uh, a lot of the time. But he's, he's played some good <laughs> basketball over the last couple of weeks, and we have yet to really see what we truly have uh, with Melton. So everyone, I want to thank everyone that subscribed to our YouTube channel as well over the last uh, few weeks. We have some videos that posted since our last episode, two videos actually in the last week and a half. Uh, the first one was a video essay comparing Devin Booker to James Harden and talking about uh, the pros and the cons of making Devin Booker a primary playmaker going forward. The other video is 11 beautiful minutes of Mikhail Bridges just playing defense and only defense. Check out those videos. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Timeline, a Phoenix Suns channel on YouTube. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Great job. I just realized you didn't call me You didn't call me Maxi for the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah, damn it. I, I, forgot, I forgot to as we were going. Uh, going just wrapped up another episode of the timeline i love this podcast and if you're like me you want as much sun's content as possible that's why i listen to the timeline every week so if you want to go ahead and hear some more phoenix sun's content go ahead and listen to the solar panel a phoenix sun show we are available on spotify on itunes on stitcher on google play anywhere that you listen to podcasts go ahead and check out the solar panel a phoenix sun's show Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.